0: Together, you, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give us what is good, and our land will yield its harvest Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is God's word to us. Amen.
1: Good evening, everybody. Um, for those who don't know me, my name's Victoria, and I'm part of the um, Leaders and Preachers team here at St. John's. And um, what, what a topic! Uh, I have to say, in fact, it, it, it would, it's almost beholden on me to say that I could not come to this topic without having done a fair bit of um, heart-searching myself. I mean, you don't stand here and talk about being revived, do you? Um, unless you've been thinking about it a bit. And perhaps not unexpectedly, and perhaps for some of you too, I concluded that, yes, Lord... I do need to be revived, but not just every now and again, every day, every day, every day, I need to be revived. Um, I take great encouragement from some words that the great evangelist and Bible scholar Charles Sturgeon, and he wrote these words in 1890. Oh, what a man. It's a bit old-fashioned language, but you'll you'll get it. He says, we know of a surety doctrinally, and we know it with equal certainty by experience that we can do nothing towards the quickening of men apart from the spirit of God. If he does not come and give life, we may preach till we have not another breath left, but we shall not raise from the tomb of sin even the soul of a little child or bring a single sinner to the feet of Christ. That's truth for us. So, our reviving can only come from God, and no striving or stressing on our part is going to revive us. Only God can do that. And yet, that doesn't mean we just sit back and wait for something to happen. And I'm so encouraged by Sam and Isaac, um, just coming up this evening and sharing with us the ways in which they have cried out to God. These two good brothers in our mates have cried out to God and God has heard them because they have really sought him and sought ways of being revived. And I would just like to say, if there's any of you sitting here this evening who aren't really quite sure, uh, you've perhaps come into church and you're not really wondering whether, whether you're a Christian or not, um, I hope this is actually an encouragement that even strong, believing Christians who go to church all the time get into the spiritual doldrum sometimes. And you know what it is? It's a wonderful opportunity for God to act. Oh, Lord, will you not revive us again? Let me just pray. Father, we do pray uh, that your spirit would move among us, um, that you would touch our hearts, and that we would know that it is you that comes and meets with us and revives us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, firstly, I'm going to do a couple of background points on Psalm 85, which actually I found quite interesting. Uh, and then uh, some comments on what, what do we actually mean by being revived. And then some pointers from Psalm 85. And finally, um, a bit of a conclusion about what a revived people might look like. Firstly, strangely relevant, but who were the sons of Korah? They're the guys uh, who wrote the psalm. Uh, As Eddie quipped earlier, they were the Korah boy band, and they wrote this. But they were part of the tribe of Levi, and they were direct descendants of Moses. Now, for some of us, this is interesting. For others of us, there's a key point which might be more interesting, And their ancestors were great, great, great and several more great grandfathers led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, actually against God. God intervened. And the sad end was that some divine landslide kind of drowned them all in earth. There's about 250 of them. However, the young sons of Korah, the ancestor Korah, were spared. God still had a purpose for the descendants of this wayward group within the tribe of Levi. And now we find them, generations later, leading the people of Israel in a cry for revival. A cry that acknowledges their sinfulness and God's mercy. thing is, they knew their family history. So although this was a prayer for the people, there's something quite personal there. They knew God's mercy. They knew it was God's mercy that allowed them to just be even writing a song and not wiped out. And for us too, it's personal. You, Lord, showed favor on your land, you restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned away from your fiercest anger. Yes, for us it's personal. We know that God sent his son Jesus to the cross so that we could have eternal life. He covered the sin of the whole world with the blood of his son. He set aside his wrath at our constant rejection of his love for us. And he restored us to himself through Jesus. Yes, it's personal. Secondly, the psalm was written during the time um, of the great return to Jerusalem of the people of Israel following 70 years of exile to Babylon. Sometime after 538 is what is reckoned, but does it really matter? The point is, it had been the greatest national shakeup the people of Israel had ever experienced. And as they came back together in Jerusalem, things just weren't the same. The temple was wrecked. Many of their fellow believers had fallen right off the spiritual wagon. They were coming back together, but they weren't together. They were simply going through the motions of worship. Perhaps that sounds familiar to some of us. And actually, not just us here at St. John's, but all over this country, indeed all over the world, there are groups of Christians in different ways crying out to God and saying, Revive us, Lord. Revive us. We need you. So a question. What are we asking for when we ask God to revive us? What are we asking for? Well, the answer we read in Psalm 85 is that your people may rejoice in you. We're asking that when we worship God, we will be rejoicing not about God, but in him. In all that he is, in all that he's done. We're asking to have, again, a heart that worships him. To be a people that long to be holy as he is holy. And that we might remember that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And that our task is to declare his praises, the praises of the one, the only one who called us out of darkness into light. We're asking God to take us, actually, back to first principles. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. When we ask God to revive us, we're asking not for new life, but for renewed life. Because he's already given us the life that we need. He's already done it. Okay, let me, <laughs> I brushed my teeth several times today. Made me think of my toothbrush. <laughs> does anybody else have one of those electric toothbrushes? Yeah. So, you know, the thing is, when you forget to put it on its little dinky-do, it it still works as a toothbrush, does it not? But it hasn't got much power to it. <sighs> It's hard. And you see, when we come to Jesus, we recognize he has already given us everything we need. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't need new life. We need renewed life. We're reminded in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. We just need a bit of a wake-up call. So we're asking that our sovereign Lord, our wondrous holy God, will come by his spirit and will open our eyes to see him in all his glory. And we want that sense of his holiness to fall upon us. I know I need reviving. Um, I have experienced God's reviving power in my life. Many times, as I hope you have. But what I know is that I want more of it. And again and again. And do you notice that word in the psalm? Lord, will you not revive us? What's the next word? Again. Lord, will you not revive us again? Come and do it. And Jesus knew that without the Spirit of God, we would struggle. So, throughout his ministry, Jesus taught his disciples. By what he said, by what he did, they heard God's word. They were taught God's ways. When Jesus spoke, they knew it to be truth, the truth of his word. He began to teach them just how to live together, how to serve one another, how he turned completely upside down some of their legalistic views on worship and prayer. And somehow, I actually think they thought Jesus would just always be there, And then he wasn't. He was captured, and he was tortured, and he was killed. Um, And the disciples were broken. And then Jesus rose again. Hundreds of people saw him. But you know what? The disciples were still broken. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. And then came Pentecost that first outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people, and we celebrate Pentecost in a few weeks, there is the most beautiful, in my mind, systematic logic in this. Suddenly, these troubled, confused disciples are empowered and revived. They were on fire. They were able again to rejoice in the Lord their Savior. They were able to speak out God's word boldly, with clarity and with authority. They remembered Jesus' teaching, and suddenly the promise he gave them made sense but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. The disciples were experiencing that. They were experiencing it because the Spirit of God had come upon them. What the disciples experienced and what we know now is that God's word, without God's power to understand it and put it into practice, will be words. We need the power of God, literally, to release his written word into a living word that touches our hearts and changes our lives. Do, does anybody agree with me here? Yes. Yes. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the hidden mysteries of scripture. To give us the grace to build up our life together, to reach out to others, to serve our local community, to speak out the message of Jesus, to love and to be loved as brothers and sisters in Christ. Those early disciples suddenly understood how Jesus could possibly have told them that he would be with them always to the end of time. And Jesus was, and he is, still with us till the end of time by his Spirit. The promise of God the Father poured out at Pentecost. There's an old saying that holds true when we look to man We get what man can do. When we look to God, we get what only God can do. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So, a question, brothers and sisters, I've asked myself this How hungry are you? How hungry are you? As a church family, Will we humble ourselves to be hungry enough for God to revive us? I mean, that's ultimately the question, isn't it? When we ask to be revived, we're asking to be humbled under God's holiness, to be awed by his mercy, to wonder at his wonderful grace. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? By way of conclusion, I want to, um, I want to read us a passage uh, from 1 Thessalonians, which I have found very helpful. Um, <coughs> Well, I might do that, but then I might actually do something else first. Hang on a minute. Um, let me, first of all, go to that, other, um, to that other slide. Nigel, have we got that there? Yeah, let's go to that first. Let me put my glasses on. Um, I just wanted us to have a few pointers... From Psalm 85, Sam talked about techniques and things that we can do. And I think that I think that's really important. We do need to do that. And we need to do that first as we pray. And uh, Isaac talked about that sense of repentance that we need to have. So I just, I don't want to read the whole Psalm, but I would invite you, if I may... Um, to read this psalm and to just think about these points up on the screen. We might even send them. I I think we're we're still doing that. Psalm 85 leads us to pray. And first of all, it leads us to thanksgiving for past blessing and forgiveness. Thanking God for what he's already done. And let me encourage you to just perhaps take some time this week to sit quietly and just say to the Lord, Lord, I I want to thank you for what you did last week or last year or just this morning. I want to thank you for that. I want to recognize that this was your work in my life. And then when we look at verse 3, We're called to repentance of current sin and a hunger for righteousness. Lord, yes, uh, I blew it. Would you please call us to repentance, but then give us a hunger to be righteous, to be right with you. And then we look at verses four to seven, and what we're seeing here is is the... The psalm is calling us to trust in God's mercy. Will you not revive us again? But also to declare his faithfulness. We have a faithful God. Because he's God and his love endures forever. And then this is absolutely crucial. Will we listen I will hear what the Lord says. Will we listen and will we learn? When we take time to listen, God will teach us his ways afresh. He will guide us. He will stop us from falling into folly, as it says. And he will give us peace. And then as we end again, we end with thanksgiving for his wonderful grace and his faithfulness. We have a good God. <clears throat> so let me just um, let me just end by reading this one Thessalonians um, five. And I'm just going to read, and it's coming up on the screen. Um, my apologies if it's a bit small. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now we know those verses, don't we? Really well. And then it says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Those are great verses. Again, let me commend those verses to you. You know, without the power of God's spirit, I guess, I don't know, what are we like? A sailing ship without wind? Toothbrush without electricity? Whatever other analogy you like. We don't often speak of how we might, perhaps unintentionally, quench the spirit. And yet Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica quite strongly about this. It's a command. Do not quench the spirit. And what he's encouraging them, if you look at the history of that, is not to worry, not to be concerned about worship getting out of control, of charlatans behaving in ways that are not God's ways. They shouldn't cause us to fear. Because God is good and God is for us. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him in every possible way. So as we perhaps go into this week, a little bit later, just take some time of quiet, let's expect God to revive us in our personal prayer life, in our small groups, in our services together, even in our committee meetings. I mean, hallelujah, you know, a PCC alive with the Holy Spirit. I'd I'd love it, wouldn't you? Any PCC members here? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. Let's do it. But more seriously, we need to allow God's Spirit to nourish us. Some of us may feel more expressive in our worship than others. For some of us, the Holy Spirit gives us the freedom to tell God we love him without being embarrassed about it. For others, there's a kind of a low-level rejoicing that becomes an irrepressible joy. I've seen and experienced those things. I'm sure some of you have. However, most noticeable to me when the Holy Spirit has moved among a group of people praying has been a sense of profound holiness, a stillness as God basically works in the hearts of his children as he comes by his Spirit and he moves among us. A stillness that's sometimes interspersed with a prayer, a Bible verse. And yet always that powerful sense of God's presence among us that may lead us to kneel or to sit when everybody else is standing. And often when God moves by his spirit, we realize that something's not right in our life. And we find ourselves repenting and knowing we're forgiven. And that might occasionally lead to gentle tears, tears of relief and tears of rejoicing. And sometimes we just want to raise our hands in acknowledgement that God is God and he is good. But very often we simply wait and listen and experience God being God and moving among his children, so that once more he can be placed at the center of our lives. So, brothers and sisters, if we want to be revived, <clears throat> we will need to simply allow God to do what only God can do. And when we rejoice in who God is, when we rekindle our relationship with him in prayer, when we give thanks for all that we have and in all circumstances, then I truly believe that our fellowship will be built up and will be given the courage and the conviction to speak out to one another the truths of the gospel and to those who don't know Jesus. Let it be so. Lord, would you revive us again so that we may rejoice in you. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs>